0: Love Talk Radio Welcome to Sis Internet Radio. This is in Spirit, affectionately called Sis, is a nurturing environment for women that inspires harmony in everyday living, shares resources that empower, offers information and support that nourishes the soul, balances our mental and physical well-being, and promotes inner peace and heightened spirituality. Our vision is a world where women live consciously, harmoniously, and spiritually to positively impact our lives and the lives of those with whom we come into contact. Join us as we live life with style, grace, and of course, much joy. Greetings, family. Tonight's show is one that touches the very core of our well being. It's entitled Education or Miseducation, Who's Failing Whom? And the requirements for standardized teaching and testing sets us up for standardized children, children who serve the system, instead of humanity. Abraham Lincoln said, the philosophy of the schoolroom is, in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next, which means that we are intentionally set up for failure to be our best self. It also creates an environment where teachers who inspire critical thinking to help youth to discover their best self or their uniqueness become the exception rather than the rule. So we have to ask the question, is our school system failing our children or are we failing to support our school system? Remember that a child taught only in school is an uneducated child. Yet, where there's a problem, there's always a creative and transformative solution. There's always the beloved teacher who inspires learning despite circumstance. And we know that public education needs their innovative approach. Now, guest tonight, Nzinga Felix, is one such teacher. And we've invited other teachers to join us who take an uncentered look at the dysfunctional system that squanders our tax dollars and cripples our children. It fosters a change that, uh, and they foster the change that allows a student's uniqueness to shine. And Zynga, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Thank you for being here. I would like to just give a brief background about you, and then if there's more information that you would like to share, please feel free to do so. And is a certified school counselor, a certified bully prevention specialist, and a member of the American School Counselors Association. She is a college instructor, a former elementary school teacher, a certified yoga instructor, an author, a state director with the teacher defense system, and an entrepreneur. Her book, A Hundred Days of Hell, tells her story of working in an environment that perpetually challenged her passion. And currently she follows that passion through education and her extracurricular activities. And Zinga, again, welcome to the show. Thank we you. we like to start off by uh, asking you, how did you get into teaching, and how did you know that this was something that you always wanted to do? And then I'll share as well that our co-host is with us, Sky. Sky, I'm glad that you could be with us this evening. Hi, Sky. And I think we need to bring Sky on the air. And Sky, you are on the air. Welcome. Good Sky And welcome Nzinga. And Thank I you. just asked the question of Nzinga as to what inspired her to be a teacher.
1: Hmm. Well, I grew up in a household um, with educators. Um, I grew up with my grandmother. She was an educator um, for years. And even after retiring, she still works with children in the community. So my first love, I guess, was watching her and seeing how she was influencing the community. Um, And as I went into high school, I was um, afforded the opportunity to work with the pre-K program in my senior year. And I really enjoyed that. And then I moved on to working in a childcare center, one of my first jobs out of um, high school. And just from there, I just enjoyed um, working with children, working with students. And I really felt that going into teaching, being an educator would give me an opportunity to influence um, change on some level. Yes, yes.
0: And so as you got into the profession, what were the first signals that you saw that the teaching profession was not what you'd envisioned?
2: Mm.
1: Well, to be honest with you, um, it really started here in Georgia. Uh, when I taught in um, Maryland and DC, it was an amazing experience. Um, I, I had I, I had the pleasure of working with people who genuinely cared about children, and so it wasn't a chore, but when I when I began to teach in Georgia, it was just really different, and the difference was the love the love for the kids and the love for the field. You, I didn't feel that you know walking through the halls of my school that the people that I worked around, some of them, because some of them were great, but there were um, a handful that you could just tell they didn't they didn't care about the kids and they were just there for a check. Hmm.
0: So, what did you? Be as your biggest challenge in that experience, mm, the biggest challenge was
1: wanting to wanting to be the change, but being put in a position where the people above you or sometimes around you they didn't have that same desire, so that was mm-hmm. the change or that was the the challenge for me.
0: And I saw that you mentioned that often you feel that teachers are put in a position where they don't have a voice and they feel like they have to conform to the system. So what kind of pressure or is it systemic that you see that educators have
2: to deal
0: with? Absolutely. Um, I think
1: um, a lot of times when people, sometimes on the outside looking in don't realize how much influence your supervisors may have on you. Excuse me. Um, they can put you in an uncompromising position to where, or a very uncompromising position to where, if you don't do what they say do, or you don't follow their lead, even if it's not a good lead, then your job is in jeopardy. So you have it. Uh, you may have a principal or someone in your school building who they're not doing everything the right way, um, cutting corners or what have you, and that becomes the norm. And if your leader of your school is doing that, a lot of times teachers may take that same lead. You know, they will follow that lead and mimic what they're seeing, mm-hmm. unknowingly. Or So, how does this impact the students? The children, they don't get what they need. Um, when we cut corners as teachers, and we're unhappy, when we are not operating at our, our uh, at capacity, I mean, at our best potential, then the children suffer because we can't give them what they need in those moments. Um, our children, a lot of times, you know, for me, I worked in Title One schools. And I enjoyed it because the children look like me. They come from similar backgrounds as myself and they, they need great teachers. So when you have teachers inside your building who are only there because they're receiving funds so that they can pay off of their, uh, their, their school loans, you know, their interests a lot of times are not with the children. They want to run back to whatever side of town they come from after their loans have been paid off. And, and pretty much, you know, leave where, where where they started. I mean, I remember coming up, a lot of our teachers in elementary school, we moved them from kindergarten up until the time we graduated because they were in our communities and they stayed. But now you have teachers who they come for two, three, five years, whatever their contract is, so they can get the money to pay off their loans, and they're gone. So there's no relationship being built between the teachers, the children, the community. It's just a, a cycle, you know, a revolving door of teachers coming
0: in, teachers leaving. Yeah, it sounds like it's commercial. So what do you say about public schools basically supporting capitalism, whether it be the prison system or the corporate system?
1: Well, now public school can work for some people, but you have to work it. Um if as a parent, if you're not involved in the public school, then anything goes. Um, it's not until you get into the schools and you, you you're you there and you you make your presence felt that you can actually influence a level of change. Um, you know, there are theories that there is a prison, a public school to prison pipeline. Um, there's also, you know. Talks about the test, the standardized test, being used to help build prisons or to to um, what is it to, to determine how many prisons they're going to need in the future. Well, I don't have any data on that. However, I would I would lean more to that. That I'm sure that that's what's happening. Mm-hmm.
0: And I know if you if any of you have saw the movie Waiting for Simple Man, you're familiar with that theory that the public school system is just a pipeline for prisons or corporate America in a situation basically where our children are not taught to think, rather they are taught to what to think versus how to think. Um, Okay. So you titled your book A Hundred Days in Hell and why would you title entitle it that in hell versus, you know, something around what you're more passionate about to reflect that? Okay. Well, one of the things um, I
1: noticed when I look at a lot of blogs from people, you know, a lot of them are very happy. They're happy, they're colorful, they're bright, cheery, sunshine. And when I – look and think about the year that I had here in a Georgia public school system that wasn't my school here it, it felt like hell you know um, a lot of times people think of hell when you say the word hell you think of it as a place that's really dark and gloomy or a place that um, that just kind of sucks the life out of me and that was my experience I felt like the place that I was in it was, it was literally killing me physically, mentally, emotionally, it was taken away from my creativity. It made me not want to be there at all it It changed me, so I couldn't title my book something that was sunshiny or happy because I,
0: it didn't reflect what i was what I was going through. Mhm, and I was gonna say if you don't want to be there, imagine how the students must feel because that energy is reflected throughout the classroom. Exactly. And that's
1: the point that I'm trying to make um, with my book. You know, a lot of times we, we teachers are put in positions to where we don't want to be there, you know, and, and we could have gone to school for years on end loving this profession, and then you get in one school under somebody who clearly doesn't enjoy their job or don't like children, Um, or just miserable, and that can change your whole outlook on the field. Um, But again, it's still something, you know, it's a job you go to every day, and a lot of us aren't put in a position where we can just leave in the middle of a school year, because we have family, and we have responsibilities, so you have to endure. And when you have to endure, you know, it takes takes something from you. For me, it, it took you know, my sanity for a moment. Um, It took me away from my family for a moment. It took me, you know, my health. My health was in business. I was sick, and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out what it was actually doing to me. Hmm. And so,
0: you know, for me, it had to be. I mean, it was hell. Well, let's talk about more on how the administration itself Mm-hmm. Creates that environment for teachers. You mentioned that it's the process of bullying, actually. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a textbook textbook standard. of bullying. Mm-hmm.
1: Tell us more Absolutely. about that. Well, what I noticed is um, when when I part in um, in Maryland and DC, we had a union, and the union protects us from certain. Um, situations of being harassed. Um, You had people, you had a a force behind you that protected its teachers. But in Georgia, Georgia is a right-to-work state. So they can pretty much fire you at will. They can pretty much do whatever they want to do. Without having a union, the teachers oftentimes are not supported. So what I found was the principal, the person that I worked for, she was able to bully and cause all kinds of destruction within the school. And there was nothing we could do about it. We, there, there was no place for us to go to get help. And when I say us, there were, I wasn't the only person who was bullied by this lady. I didn't even know it was bullying at the time. I just thought she was weird, you know. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I started to understand what bullying and harassment was that I, I acknowledged it for what it was. Because I didn't think an adult could be bullied. You know, a lot of times we hear the word bullying, we think children, you know. Right. Oh, but adults, I'm very clear that adults can be bullied as well, and that's exactly what was happening. And I think it's because there's so so many things that protect that principal or that supervisor, and it's not the same type of protection that the teacher or employee may get because there's no union.
0: hmm I see. Union versus non-union. So I want to ask two questions of you, and I would also like to invite the educators who are on the line to chime in by pressing pound one, and that way we'll know that you would like to ask a question or add a comment. So the first is, how do you make the students your allies? And the second is, how do you bring the parents aboard as allies? Mm -hmm.
1: Wow, that's a loaded question. That's good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, making the students your allies. Um, one, you have to relate to the children. Look, that's not Definitely. I think when my students understood that I was there for them and that I actually loved them, then it, it fostered a level of trust. It helped me to build a relationship with them. Um, I'm, I'm the kind of teacher that will go to your house. You don't have my homework, I'm knocking on your door because I want my homework. I need the parents to know that, you know, we're in this together. And by doing that, I'm, I'm in the community. The the community sees me, the parents see me. They understand that, okay, I'm here because I want to be here, because I love the children. So when you build that relationship with the, with the children and then you bring their parents in, they see a side of you that that you're a person that you can you that you relate or they can relate to you in that way. um so with my parents, I always provided an atmosphere where it was open. It was an open door. Um, I love my students i'm I'm tough, and the same things that I'm gonna to say to them when my door is closed, I will do the same things I can say to them in front of their parents because I'm seeing it out of love and not to embarrass or demean you. And I think once they see that and they understand that, then, then they're on your side. But the issue is you have to get those parents in there. And oftentimes when we're in the, the Title I schools, sometimes the parents don't show up. And it could be because, you know, they're working. You know, they're, they're trying to build a life for their families as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's difficult. But we, we definitely have to have the support of the parents
0: yeah and and that goes back to the point of are we failing our children by not showing up? Do you have any suggestions about how we do show up as parents or as a community mm, definitely um
1: with with the parents or anybody in the community if that school is in your uh neighborhood that's your that's your school so uh, parents um Anybody, you show up, you show up, you join the PPA, you ask the questions, you show up to the the school assembly, Um, you attend the school board meetings and see what's going on, find out what's going on with the budgets, where the money is going, you know, and you you make sure that they're doing right by the students. Um, I know a lot of times in my school, there were programs that were locked up in the closet, you know. I I remember volunteering to do a STEM program my first year at this particular school, and I find out that all of the materials are locked up in a closet. And the three years I was there, those materials never came out of that closet. And so that's a problem. If the parents knew that those materials were in there, then they could start
0: advocating and asking questions and making things happen. (laughs) So that's one way that tax dollars are wasted. What are others? Hmm, I
1: think um, fals- falsifying positions, um, not hiring the necessary personnel. Um, it could be, I know for my school, it was an uh, oversaturation of unneeded materials. You know, they had to spend the Title One dollars by the end of the school year, but a lot of the books that they would buy would sit inside the gym on the floor for a whole school year. You know, hidden agendas. Um you know, just not being forthcoming with, with what they're spending the, the funds on because nobody's checking behind them. Nobody's looking at the documents. Nobody's mm-hmm. coming to the meeting. Well, I shouldn't say nobody, but the right people aren't asking, asking the necessary questions.
0: So how do you check those documents and ask the necessary questions? Mm-hmm. Who are the right people to ask those questions? The parents definitely you have
1: you have to be you have to be a present. They need to know that you need business when you go into the school. You join the PTA because the PTA is open for anybody to join. I mean, if you have a child, if you have a child there, um, you join the PTA. The parents they have a right to see the school budget, but if nobody's asking about the school budget, those things get hidden under all of the other mess that's going on within the school.
0: Understood. So uh, another question, just switching topics a little here. Let's talk about No Child Left Behind and the general idea that test scores are valued above critical thinking and true literacy. Uh, How does Mm -hmm. that play out in the school system? (laughs) Well,
1: um, A lot of the information that we teach in the school system, a lot of times it can be shown as as teaching to the test, right? So we already know that students are a commodity, a resource, a money, right? So each child, each test score is tied to a dollar sign, a value, right? So if your school is not making the cut, you know, you, you may drop into the, the criteria of being a Title I school, but that's more funds as well. But if you also succeed or reach a certain status within your, your test scores, then you, you open yourself up to a whole other level of resources, right? Um, so when we teach the students, a lot of times we're teaching the students and helping them to understand how to make the grades. And that's not the best thing to do. That's not how we grew up, um, you know, learning and studying. But right now the motivation is making sure you pass those those high state standardized tests.
0: So uh, passing tests doesn't mean that you are being educated. It means that you're just giving the information to check off a box. And how would you say that impacts students in their future lives?
1: Well, we're not teaching the babies how to to critical think or problem solve. That's number one. Um, we're right. teaching them how to take certain information and find the answer um, in in a manufactured way, if that makes sense. Um, so, yes, yeah. yeah, some students will get Some students will be able to to learn and reason them for themselves. But the way that we are design certain curriculums or certain testing parameters. It's not giving the child the opportunity to think for themselves and to think on their own. Mm -hmm. It's
0: just to pass the test. Yeah, exactly. I would add that it is just to pass the test and so it's not learning in its essence where you learn by experience and and experience is really what sticks. It's more Mm Uh, root and it's just learning to know only what you need to know to pass the test and it doesn't enliven a student to have the real thrill about being educated and learning more and having that excitement in the classroom.
1: Right. Because the children can't connect to it. They're not able to relate to it. It's not real life.
0: Right. Yeah. So again, I'd like to invite those who are on the line. We do have several calls on the line in Zynga, and I'm sure that they have their own input that they'd like to share with us this evening. If you do, please press pound one. And in in the meantime, uh, let's talk about more about the classroom environment and how it might be different from the environment that it once was, where children were encouraged to be more creative. For example, we had more gymnastics, more arts, more home economics, the things that balance the education with real life. Mm-hmm.
1: But that all ties into the resources, um, you know, as far as having gymnastics or having art, you got to pay a teacher for that. And so with the with the money that comes in, more of the money would rather be spent on a math teacher, a reading specialist, or a reading teacher, because, again, it's tied to the test. There's not going to be a question on the test that relates to gymnastics or mindfulness and things like that. Maybe a little bit of art, but not very much. Um, in the school that I was in, I think the children only had art once every two weeks, you know? So mm-hmm. it goes back to funding and resources. They're not going to put – a lot of times they're not putting the money out for that. The money is going to those those piece, those core subjects because they want them to pass that test. They need them to pass that test. Mm-hmm.
0: Because that's how the schools are funded at the end of the day. Yes, in part. Mhm. In part. Okay. So we do have a question. Caller, area code 301, last digits card 0625. You are on the line. Welcome to Empowerment Radio.
1: Good evening, ladies. How are you all?
0: We are doing well. Thank you for
1: joining. Oh, you're quite welcome. I did want to um, make a comment um, just about resources. I do know that parents are can be standoffish, hands-off of education unless there's a problem. And when it comes to resources, a lot of times those parents are that are standoffish, as educators we have to start to to look at why. Um, A lot of times parents have, you know, personal experiences, when they were in school, that makes them kind of stay away. It could be the material that their children they're learning that they don't know how to help them, so they stand off it. They could have had a negative encounter with an educator in the building, and they just turned them off. So I think there's several no layers as to why some of the parents would not be involved. And as a teacher, I think it's a responsibility to be able to extend a hand, to reach out, and start to build a bridge that will help with that gap to bring our parents back to school. And how
0: would you say we do that? How do we bring parents aboard as allies?
1: What works for you? One of of the things that I've thought about um, when we have community events, as an educator, it takes a special someone. I, I truly understand that in that
0: we and I think an if you have um, yeah, the computer on in the background and you're also talking, you, you just go to one system. Let me see if I can take my computer. Is that better? Yes. Hello? Yes.
2: Okay.
1: Um, one of the things that i thought about is when the community sees people from school. Participate in evening activities or weekend activities, that starts to, to form a bond, a relationship. For the mere fact that you care to come out outside of the school hours or the school day to one of your kids who plays on a sport or they have a musical concert somewhere or a community event, I think that's the beginning stages of bringing the parents to come back into the school because. You can also talk with them about some concerns or invite them to things that are going on in your building when you're out at a community event. So I think that would be a good place to start in addition to making those phone calls and doing visits. Something about the old school work, and we've grown so far away from that, that our educational system is so broken
0: yeah. You know, there was a time when not being on your PTA was almost criminal. And then it's become, you know, people don't really participate on the PTA. And at a couple of my son's school, I served on the PTA, the vice president, the president, you know, really in an activist position. And it is amazing to see the level of apathy that most parents have around their child's education. And as Nzinga said earlier, it could be because their job is so demanding that they can't get away, there's a conflict in hours, or they just don't have the energy to to deal with this, you know, after school program and the extra effort that it takes to be engaged in your child's life. But I think that if they if we as a community foster the understanding that this is our future. This is what we need to do in order to allow our children to be their best selves, that there would be a greater effort made.
1: I agree. But we do realize our older generations are dying off. And we're being left with those
0: generations who,
1: sadly enough to say, have waited to start living their lives after the they've birthed these children. And so they're out doing their own thing, and as long as the children come to school and they're safe and somebody's looking after them, they don't really
0: see the need for change mm-hmm. because it's working. Mm-hmm. It's working for the parents, but not for the, the children. Parents. Is that what I'm hearing? The parents. Right. Okay. right. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Great point.
0: Mhm okay, so uh, thank you for that caller. Uh, um, we didn't get your name, but we appreciate. You're it. Thank welcome. you for sharing with thank us. You are and I you know let's if you have something from your book that you would like to share with the listeners, please share that, and also, in the meantime, we'd like to continue to have the input
2: from other educators
0: other parents who are on the line to share their thoughts and to ask questions of using that as well. And I mentioned earlier that we've got our co-host Guy on the line. Uh, it looks like she had to drop off, but she's not on the line with us now. Guy, if you have any input, feel free to share. And we do have a question. From a caller four seven eight area code. Last digital number eight number five eleven, you
2: are on the air. Thank you, thank you
0: for joining this empowerment
2: radio. Good evening. I'm really enjoying the conversation. I um, you know, I do work in the school system, so I do agree with um, all that you're saying. But as a you know, as an African American just you know, a person that grew up in public school in this country, what I see is one of the biggest problems and my opinion is lack of parental support within the school system. And I don't even want to say within the school system, within a home. Like I grew up in a household and to this day, I don't know if my grandfather know how to read. But
0: you know, we had to read. it wasn't an option. Uh, Zito, you know, there, there is a echo on your
2: line as well. So okay. if, you, again, if you're on the computer and the phone. Um, no, I'm not on the computer. I was on speaker. Okay. But what I was thinking, uh, okay. like, what I see yeah. is, you know, it's almost like a, a parent to come to the school and fuss at us if a kid can't go on the field trip. But won't come up to school when they see a fifth grader reading on a first grade reading level. So as a a people, we have to get our priorities straight. We have to take the responsibility of our kids' education. I I heard the sister mention how, you know, I'm in an environment, too, where we have the student teachers, where we have um, uh, just everything she said. I I, I see that every day. Um, But I know that that's not going to... Change until the parents take on the responsibility of their kids. I just, you know, it's just, it, it's, it's not going to change until parents take hold. If we can't, so when you say people that we complain about, we depend on them to teach our kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how know? do you bring yeah. the parents
0: aboard as allies? Yeah.
2: We're back yeah. to that question. What do you do? The parents will have. They have to take responsibility. Or they're going to continue to see their kids uh, just fall further into the rabbit hole. So how
0: do you that's if they even
2: realize it. That's if they realize right. that their children right. are falling into the hole. They sometimes have to realize that first. That's right. And sometimes, as you know, as African Americans, we have to. Sometimes we have to be put there before we realize that it and come back up. But until people, just like the sister was saying, everything she said about the school, the the, the student teachers, all of that. So at what point do we not realize that they're not trying to educate our kids? And we have to put forth that extra effort. Get your kids from in front of the TV. Have your kids sit and read a book. You sit and read a book with your kids for 10 minutes a day. You know, make sure your kid is reading. Um, I just, you know, I just think as a people, we have to take responsibility for ourselves and, you know, education and everything else. That's how I see it. I I don't,
0: you know, I'm in this fight every
2: day. I agree. And And I would add, too, that
0: just listening to certain music and having our children watch certain shows that don't add to their education that, in fact, Take away from what they should be learning and input and bore into their minds concepts of sexuality or um, anything illegal money, fast money, all of that is miseducation, which we are responsible for when we're sitting in the car or watching TV and have our children in the room and and don't understand that that is a form of education, because they think if it's okay for us to sit there and listen to it, that it's okay for them. And if we seem to be approving of it, then it should be okay. Okay.
1: Absolutely. And if I might add, but one of the things too is um and I hear, um, Carla, I'm not sure I didn't get your name, but I hear a certain level of frustration because you, you mentioned that you are an educator. And and, and I know I didn't that, mention but, my name because of that. I'm very active. Okay. And that's all I'm I, I, I shared
2: this call with some of my coworkers too. And so they're uh-huh. probably on this call too. Yeah. oh
1: and that's the wrong way but but what i will say though is is i, I hear it, the frustration and i get it i understand because we're a lot of times we are in the trenches with one another and we don't know how to pull ourselves out of the trenches but we have to remember that we have to support one another you know just being there for for your next door neighbor and checking because if it wasn't for some of my colleagues it was some days that i, I think i would have went really savage in there because it was so much and if i didn't have You know, somebody next door checking on me. You all right today? How's it going? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I probably wouldn't have made it out of that out of that building. You know. but I also would say too. I know a lot of times we put a lot of focus on the parents as we should, but we got to remember some of them struggle as well. You know, we mm-hmm. don't know what they're going through in their day to day life. We don't know the struggles that they face on their job with their um, living expense. You know, their, their their living situations. We don't know. And then you know, systemically. The, the, the government has done a number on a lot of our parents. you know they wiped out a, a whole generation of people just from the, the whole what was it the, uh, the time when Reagan was in office with the whole uh, dare to keep children off of drugs. That was targeted to our yeah that was targeted to our community. So we lost mm-hmm. a lot of parents, you know in the, in, in that time um, and we had to depend on grandmothers and um, other community parents. To raise a, raise children, and those children eventually grew up to be adults, but they didn't have a certain level of guidance, you know. Right. And when they started having children, what did they? What, what could they teach their children? They they hadn't been taught. So I think sometimes we have to have a level of compassion um, for them and get to know them and help to understand their situation, because a lot of them are struggling too. You know, they don't have they they don't have a community. You know, there's there a lot of times when you, know, you go into the community, and it's not even a community. They, they just live in and survive and just trying to get back. And, and, and yes, I that,
0: the, the truth is we don't have our culture, and when we don't have our culture, we don't have ourselves. So what we, we work to reinstitute is our culture, our traditions, our moral values, and then from there, we can build up community. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So, caller, is there well, something I'm else? Well, I'm one of those, one of those education, educators that, you know, I, I, if, if I see my kids in these shoes, I'm at their football games, their basketball <laughs> games, you know, they can call me on the phone. I might be sitting in my house at 9 o'clock at night. And they call me on the phone, tell me they had not had dinner. I'll run mm-hmm. and pick them a happy meal or whatever I can do for my kids. But even, even in the in the in that sense, I go to football games and basketball games weekly, and the parents are not even there. You know, mm-hmm. it's just. These kids want their parents. You know, we they talk to me all the time, and they'll say, my parents don't care. You know, they say to me, you care more than my mom. My mom was just home watching TV. Or I had a, a a second grader last year tell me that she was tired that morning, Thursday morning. And I said, why are you tired? And she said, well, I was up watching Empire, cause Empire comes on Wednesday. And then she said she had to get, this she fell asleep and got back up early that morning to catch it before she came to school with her mother. So this is her second grader. The second grader is, what, about eight, seven or eight years old? So mm-hmm. this is what we're, we're up against. As much as we try right. to intervene and, you know, parents are going to have to take responsibility because their kids learn. I was a kid, so I learned what I lived. No matter how much mm-hmm. my mother said, don't do as I say, do as I do. I still learn what I saw her do. And these kids Absolutely. are learning what they see, people, not just mothers and fathers, but everybody that's around them. So we just have mm-hmm. the people across the board with education and everything else have to, you know, we have to – get it and change and make things happen. Mm-hmm. Like sister just said, we have to bring our culture and respect our culture and get back to respecting ourselves and respecting our kids. Mm-hmm. Respecting kids respecting parents. you know, kids think they can talk. They don't play that with me, but they think they can just talk to teachers any other kind of way. Say mm-hmm. anything out their mouth to a teacher. You know, yell at teachers. But see the difference mm-hmm. is is that these teachers are seeing now that they try that with who they can get away with. Because a, uh, a, a child that I'm sitting here teaching and trying to help is not going to turn around and yell at me. That's just not going to happen with me. And they so they don't. They don't try me. But they will mm-hmm. try the teachers that they can try. So they know they know the difference. These kids, you know, can be trained, but a lot of times people really don't try to train them. So they, they look at them like, you know, let the, you know, you know the expression, let the dogs play with the dogs. You know, they don't care. Like the sister said earlier, that we don't have the people in our schools to, to, to condition our kids. They're there to get their student loans paid off, and then they go. Mm-hmm. So they're not trying to put, you know, the 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 hundred percent the the whole child, you know, into our kids. They don't care. When they finish getting their school no say though, they going they're back gone. to their own community. They're yeah. I see crazy. it every day. I'm in the college town so I see it every day. But time. That's why the parents have to say you No know, more. No more. We have to take on that. We have to you know, I'm in public housing. I do meetings. I do women-to-women circles, and I try to talk to the parents. You know, I'm in board meetings, so, I, you know, I know that it's not going it, to – it will get better when our parents put their foot down and become more concerned about the child knowing how to read than their child going on the field trip. On oh, the yes, field trip, absolutely. Oh, and I just goodness. want to say, I salute you
1: for what you're doing um, because it, it takes educators and teachers like yourself. To be out there in the community. And that's why you don't get the children disrespecting you like that because they see you out there in the community and they respect you because you're out there. You're doing the work and you can relate to them. So, you know, we appreciate what you're doing. And, and, you know, I definitely salute you because
0: we need more
1: educators to be in there loving on our children and pushing them towards greatness, even when their parents are not, even when we're not supported in our own school. So, thank you for everything that you're doing.
0: Yes, thank you, and as you said, all educators out there who are in there for the love of the children and the true education of the, the children, we appreciate you. Thank you, caller, for your comments. And did you want to share something about your book and tell people how to get your book? Absolutely. Um, I have to find
1: something that's appropriate uh, with my book. Um, It is entitled... 100 Days of Hell, it, it's raw, it's uncensored, um, it's it's the dark side of the school. You know, like I said, it wasn't, uh, the full title, let me say the full title, the full title is 100 Days of Hell, a Struggling Class in a Failing System. And it can be ordered on Amazon, or you can order it directly from my website, which is www.inzinga.biz.com. Nzinga is spelled N-V-I-N-G-A dot B-I-Z. And then you can find the hashtag um, 100 Days of Hell or Nzinga Felix or Bully Bully Prevention Specialist. So those are some of the hashtags I use. Um, let me see what I could read from here. Okay. Oh, I have one. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, this is day 84. It says, I've always had a love take relationship with cafeteria workers and secretaries. Why? Because they are mean for what appears to be no fucking reason. There's no reason for you to, to scream on a small child for not having money on their lunch account. In case they don't know, the children don't have any money. Unless it's some exceptional circumstance, they can't make money to provide for themselves. One morning while I was, I'm sorry, one morning while I had early morning call duty, I remember a young student, possibly kindergarten, leave the cafeteria in full tears. I stopped him and asked, what's the matter with you? He let out a burst of noise and said, they won't give me no breakfast. Thinking it might be his siblings, his friends, or even an older student, I continued to ask, who are they, and which he's speaking of. The student finally explained that it's one of the ladies in the cafeteria. I took the student back through the line and asked one of the cashiers why the student couldn't get any breakfast. The student and I were informed by the cashier he asked to pay. He don't get free lunch and he don't have no money. The food that the student wanted was sitting right on the class register. The custodian who heard the initial promotion gave the cashier some coins for the student's breakfast. The custodian reached over and took the breakfast off the register and said, here you go, little buddy. The, cu- the custodian later told me that the woman had snatched the student's breakfast tray and told him if he didn't have any money, he couldn't have the breakfast food. The custodian further explained me that after the student touched the food tray, they can't give it to another student, but the food becomes trash. Which is why the food remained at the register. This makes me so annoyed. We would rather throw away food than to feed a hungry child. It makes no
0: sense. Yeah, and I'm going to guess that's just one of many things that makes no sense in the school system. Absolutely, absolutely.
1: It's just, I mean, little things like that. It, it annoys me. It happens, you know. Um, you know, just, I mean, how can you deny a child food? I, that's something I never understood. And I've seen it more than one time in, you know, in, in different schools or just, you know, in talking to different parents. They they will allow the students' uh, lunch account to, to charge up to $100 before you send a note home saying your child owes money. And then when it gets to $101, now the child can't eat. But what parent has $100 just laying around? You know, I mean, some do, but I'm talking Title I school. So now the parent has to find $100, and if not, the child is eating a
0: cold cheese sandwich. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, I agree. So there's a lot that's going on here. What have you learned from this experience overall, and what is it that you would share as a solution with the broader audience, you know, and not just parents. Because just because you don't have a child in school doesn't mean that you cannot be the village that helps support a student as well.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Well, what I've learned, um, I learned that you know a lot of times we don't talk about bullying as it relates to adults, and you know the word bullying is reserved for children a lot of times, but adults are bullied. Um, I've also learned that education in Georgia is messed up. Um, it's, it's a state that does not honor unions, and it could be a lonely place. So this is why we see a lot of corruption in and out of the Georgia school system. There's no, there's no honor amongst people. Amongst and I've also learned that your health, whether it's mental or physical, is very important. You know, we have to take care of ourselves, and we have to create ways to keep ourselves he- healthy, minimize stress. And, you know, minimizing tension, minimizing stress. And I think that in order to be involved, um, that's how we change things. You know, we need to know who's in our community. We need to know who these leaders are of our schools. We need to go to these school board meetings. We need to know who we're voting for. We need to, we, we need to know. And if you're not voting, somebody else is voting. And and nepotism comes into play. You know, they're putting certain people in position for, for reasons. Sometimes they're unknown to us because we, we don't know what's going on. So, um <clears throat> I think that we need to just we, we just need to open our eyes. Wherever your child is going to school, wherever your neighbor's child is going to school, we need to be involved. We need to know these people that are in our community. Mm-hmm.
0: And I would add, too, that we are paying our tax dollars whether you have a child in school or not. I, I know I pay approximately $2,000 a year that goes to the school community, and I don't have a child in the school. So, therefore, mm. I have a vested interest in the school system in my community. And Absolutely. we should all be involved because, as I said earlier, it takes a village to raise a child. And
1: we're talking about multitudes of children. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're paying into it whether we realize it or not, one way or the other. So are we going to be paying to make the school, you know, a great place to be or are we going to pay to to recycle in and out children who are going to to eventually possibly become criminals? You know, because they're not being educated or supported or just underachievers, you know, we're paying into a system, you know, what, what is the outcome? What are
0: we going to produce with that? And, you know, the things that me and, and a question that I have is, um, are, these, are these conversations being had at PTA meetings or at the school board meetings, um, you know, encouraging parents to get involved, you know, talking about all the subjects that we talked about, misuse of funds, all of these kind of things. And, and even more importantly, um, what I'm hearing a lot here in the D.C. area is um, about child abuse. You know, having people that have not been um, vetted properly or investigated properly working with our children and um, and, and in some cases, you know, molesting our children. But are these conversations being had in in different environments so that we can start getting, you know, the messages across, uh, encouraging parents to get involved and, you know, just really having frank discussions about what's going on?
1: Okay, I would say yes, to the conversations I had in small pockets, but when you have a lot of people not there, a lot of times the message is not widespread. It's not received mm-hmm. by everybody. Mm-hmm. So the conversations are being had, but it just it's in front of certain individuals. Right. Um, you know, again, you have to be when you ask these questions, you have to have a certain um I guess, personality or um, vigor about yourself, because they're not going to, a lot of times, they're not going to give you the answers that you want right away, you know, because you you have the potential with just that one question to bring down a whole list of people. And they're Mm -hmm. not going to let their jobs go just that easily. Mm -hmm. You know, it takes, it takes a lot of research. It takes a lot of questions being asked um, a lot of patience, going to the right people you have to be consistent. You have to like, you know, you have to be like a dog in a dog fight. You know, once you grab hold of it, you're not gonna let it go. You're just gonna keep shaking until something happens. That's really what has to happen. And, and people give up.
0: Yes, you true. know, the first and time
1: they hear something that they don't want to hear, they give up.
0: hmm And we um, know, that Maryland, show that the United States spends the most money on on students and we don't have anything to show for where that money does go because it's obvious that the money hasn't gone to the betterment and the education of the students.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the other part of that, too, is... Some schools are getting that funding, but mm -hmm. you have to look and
1: see which schools are. You know, you have a lot of schools. I would say, you know, thinking of Georgia, on the north side, which is the more affluent side, oh, their parents show up to those board meetings. And their parents mm-hmm. show up to those CTA meetings, and those schools are thriving as a result. But so when you come down to the south side or to the east side, you know where some of the communities are, are not as affluent. You 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 rarely see a parent in the in, out in the um in in the audience. I remember we would have parent teacher conferences, um, and and I was I you know I would have a, a great number because I would schedule mine in advance, but there would be a lot of teachers sitting there for hours, and would have one or two parents show up but you have 30 children in your class and you have two parents that showing up, you know? But when you go yeah. over to the north side, those parents are going to be there. They're going to be at those PTA meetings asking questions, raising money for their children to do, you know, awesome things. But not on the east side here in Georgia, not on the south side,
0: not as much. Mm-hmm. And, and generally not in most urban communities. Absolutely. All right. So, would you please give us your contact information once again? Tell us how to get your book for those who are interested. And if there's a dialogue that can be had, we can host it on the SIS forum. We'd like to do so with you and other educators.
1: Oh, absolutely. I would. I would love to do like a call to action and invite more teachers on. And and just some people on, uh, you know, really have a, a conversation about what we could do, um, and, and address the bullying. Issue. You know, that's an issue that, that's prevalent in schools, whether it's an adult or the teachers. Um, I'm sorry, adults, the teachers, or the children. Um, and also to to present stress management, and you know, give teachers mm-hmm. an outlet on on things that they can do to to keep their health. You know, intact going through certain situations. You know, we have to be in optimal shape in order to deal with our our babies. Um, my contact, contact information. My yes. My contact information. Um, it is Zinga at nzinga.biz. So you can reach me via email nzinga at biz. You can also order the book on my website www.nzinga dot biz b-i-z and the book is also available on amazon.com 100 days of hell teaching a struggling class and a failing system by nzinga felix
0: thank you and you can reach and me
1: on social media as well i have a instagram page it is one uh 100 days of hell as well as in um, facebook
0: nzinga felix Right. So we will open a forum to address this topic further. And i also open the line for the two educators who spoke earlier, call, uh, caller who's never ends in 0625 and 8511. We've got 30 seconds to add a final comment. We've got two minutes left in the show before we close out. So I'd like to give you a, a, a final word that you'd like to share with the audience.
2: No, I just wanted to say that I truly agree with the sister that you know that's exactly how the PTAs meetings look. You know, our parents do Tell our parents realize that they have to put their stuff in this process. It's not going to get any better for their kids. So I want to tell. I totally agree with her.
1: Thank you. And also, I wanted to share, Ms. Zika, you Julian, inspiration. I am definitely going to purchase your book because I'm interested in how you were able to push through all of that to save yourself and keep up the great work. Thank you,
0: thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you both, and thank you, Inzinger, for joining the show. Uh, we, as I said, we want we definitely want to do more with this. Are there some final words that you'd like to leave the audience with? You said, I'm sorry, say said it again. Are there some final words that you would like oh, to yeah, leave?
1: Oh, yeah. I just want to read this last little piece very quickly. 100 Days of Hell, keeping a second class in a learning system, helps us understand why teens in the United States of America have failed to rank among the top two worldwide in math, reading, and science. 10 year graduate school teacher and singer Felix has a unique, un. That provides an often comical and entertaining yet painfully and shameful first hand account of her harsh realities that underlie a failing education system. Her raw language and greedy mimicry stimulate our senses as she walks us through her daily journey to resurrect a dying grade school where children have to fight their way through crowded halls dominated by the stench of CCs and urine, only to enter classes where disruptive students command more attention and control than educators. Yes. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak on this platform. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you for all the supporters, including you, all were wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. thank you <laughs> thank for, you
0: for sharing on this very important topic. Um, you know, if we fail our children, we fail our future, we fail ourselves. Um, I would just like to add a little bit of this news. We have a new website which we are kicking off. <laughs> www.sistersinspirit.net please check it out and you can join and become a member whether it's a paid membership where you get a lot of benefits or free membership Um, and we will begin January also to have live video added to our shows and this, we want to open our channel of Block Talk Radio to other businesses as well, including the topic of education. And so, look for more on that. Thank you for joining this Empowerment Radio. Until the next time, balance and wholeness.